Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be cracking open the post bag and listening and responding to some of your voicemails. And to start off, we have a few calls from Jason Connolly at Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thanks very much for getting in touch, Jason. So we're going to play those through and we'll comment at various stages. So take it away, Jason. Hey, Hannah and John. This is Jason. Just want to call in your Bloodworn episode. Excellent episode. I did a podcast on Layer of the White Worm back in my early days, October last year. I don't remember what episode number it was. I looked around a little bit, but I was <laughs> naming my episodes after recommendations on what what i should call my podcast back then so the name of the episodes have nothing to do and i just have scary movie month reviews in the notes so i don't know which of those many many episodes it's in but yeah i, I quite enjoyed layer of the light yeah layer of the white worm for what it was it's not a good movie but it's a it's a fun movie and, and the theme song's kind of catchy so anyhow great job talk to you guys again soon hi jason glad you liked that episode what can I say? Hugh Grant just never really did it for me. <laughs> hey, Hannah and John, Jason here. Great episode on the art of second edition. I'll be honest with you. I need to look through second edition more. I, you know, I grew up with first edition and, and with the earlier games. I never actually played second edition back in the day. But what I love, but like I really love the playful style. And you see that in these earlier books and where they're willing to have fun. And like Hannah said, this, do we want to say amateurish, but this like unfinished and playful style, I, I think is very endearing. And what I prefer, even to this day in any books, you know, in the first edition books, especially the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Monster Manual, there are, there are a lot of jokes in there. There's a lot of comedic drawings in there, you, you know, and, there, you know, there are things like a party's trying to sneak up on a, on a sacrifice by rat men and they, and they have Mickey Mouse ears on because they're going to try to, you know, blend in or you have a, a rat, a rust monster there and the, and the fighter in full armor is jumped up in the arms of the magic user to protect him from the rust monster. Right. So there's a lot of comedy in there and, and, and that always drew me and, and still draws me. And, and I much prefer that. Um, yeah, I don't know, but great episode. Really enjoyed it. If, Hannah and John, you haven't seen a lot of first edition art, just Google first edition art, and I'm sure it'll pop up. Take care. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Jason. The, the sort of earlier artwork does have like a sort of like playful quality to it. You know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And whilst I, I like to take game sessions seriously whilst I'm running them, I think especially in a lot of the earlier books where the text can often be quite dry it's nice to have those little comedic touches those little tongue-in-cheek sort of jokey elements particularly if they're referencing situations we've all sort of experienced in rpgs it's nice to have them just to like break up the like big wadges of text and obviously back in the day they couldn't have massive art budgets for the, like the full color spectacular that we're used to nowadays so it's nice to see them just sort of like putting that bit of the energy into the supplements yeah and it's interesting that you've mentioned art from other books we were specifically looking at the monster manuals but we should maybe take a look at the artwork in some of the other books and do another 
artwork review at some point. Yeah, I mean, especially since I've been like acquiring some of the Orange Spine, like AD&D first edition books on via eBay, um, sort of building up a little collection of those, and I've not really had a chance to like sort of deep dive into them yet. But I've got a couple of days off work coming up, so I'm planning to like delve into those and read through them. And I'm sure, as Hannah said, eventually we'll get around to doing a another sort of artwork centric episode although someone was actually telling me on the internet the other day apparently when we were saying like some of the artwork like in so Aiden D was from like the 80s someone was saying that the original artwork was actually earlier but when they re-released them they sort of had like one person do all the colour artwork that something along those lines. Sense. which I just thought was an interesting wrinkle I'm sorry I can't remember the exact think of what they told me but i just thought that was interesting anyway let's get back to see what else jason has to say hey hannah and john jason here just want to say i enjoyed your highlings and henchmen's episode you did a great job expanding on a topic i just barely touched i really enjoyed your your different thoughts and you brought a lot to it thank you so much looking forward to the next one Really glad you enjoyed the episode on Hirelings and Henchmen, Jason. From my point of view, it's an oft underused part of D&D, particularly nowadays. Whereas I remember sort of when I first started it, it was always a thing. You know, you'd have a torchbearer, you'd have someone to carry your loot. And I'm hoping to do another episode on Hirelings at some point, which will talk about more the, the actual rules of how you hire people. And I've got numerous books like... Um, there's Broodmother Sky Fortress for um, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, which has a lot of um, Jeff's Games blogs notes in it where he's talking about how he runs hirelings in his game. And I've got numerous other OSR books that offer different ways of doing that. So I'm sure we'll swing around to talking about hirelings and henchmen again in the future. Hey, Hannah and John, Jason here. Enjoyed your episode on Bullywugs. Some great stuff there. You can hear Maddie in the background. Don't mind him. So when I think of Bullywugs, though, I can't help but think of the classic film, Hell Comes to Frogtown, Roddy Roddy Piper. I'm going to send a link to your Discord account, John, so you can see what I'm talking about in the off chance that you haven't heard of it before. Take care. So we're just looking at the IMDb for that, and it looks amazing. I don't think we'll have time to watch it tonight because I'm running my game, but sometime this week. Yeah, and thank you very much for sending the link where we can watch that on YouTube, Jason. Very much appreciate it. It's not one I'd heard of myself, to be perfectly honest, but as Hannah said, we'll get round to watching that at some point later on in the week. Hey, Hannah and John, this is Jason. Just want to say I really enjoyed the Castle episode. I think you guys brought out a ton of great points really useful episode you know especially the idea of don't forget of all the little people that are going to be running around in the castle all the workers all the people to keep it running every day i think that's easily forgotten um thinking in modern in media recent things i've seen in the media near the end of the witcher series there's a a battle where a group with magic users attack another group that magic users defending but it's not quite a castle they're defending so i don't know how applicable that is but there there i did see recently see a movie that, that i i believe the director researched all the history and it's historically accurate and that's guy Ritchie's king arthur movie um you know where they, where they have the the mamelukes the you know the giant elephants and all that and, and they're 
and the evil wizards are, are attacking Camelot or attacking the castle. Like I said, I'm pretty sure Guy Ritchie did a lot of historical, historical research in that movie. And, and, and you know, that shows you what it looks like when mages attack the castle. So, so maybe refer to that for some, you know, some accurate historical information. But aside from that, great episode. Can't wait to your next one. Take care. Glad you enjoyed the episode on Castles, Jason, and thank you for your film suggestion. It's not one I've watched myself, but I'll try and give that a look. Uh, yeah, one of the things that I thought was interesting you were mentioning, the little people, one of the things I don't think we mentioned in the episode is when we've been to like local castles like Tutbury Castle and stuff like that, is when you look around them where like, men have been stationed, there's all manner of like graffiti and stuff like oh, people the carving their names. Graffiti is amazing. And it goes back hundreds of years, all different places. Um, where else have we been? The Stone Age tombs that have got graffiti from the last 200 years as well. Yeah, and I think that one of the great things about these places, because they've been around for so long, is they're almost sort of like living memorials or sort of like time machines. Because when you look at this graffiti, you're not seeing some sort of grand gesture that was made by the nobility or the people who built the castle. It's just some guy who was stationed in that castle, probably missing his home, maybe a bit bored on his shift or whatever, and he scratched his name, maybe some of the message, into the wall. And it, it just gives you a little bit of an insight into like what the sort of common man was who was in that castle. One of my favourite instances of that is in the gardens at Alton Towers. Uh, there's a folly that was built 18th century, I think. All right. And obviously, Alton Towers, big theme park in Britain. Loads of people go there. Yeah. did until recently. And there's one name, I think it's Dave. It might be Mark or John. It's a really common name, and it's written really big and really deep and every time I look at it I wonder did one guy called Dave spend like a week chiseling that into the brick or has every guy who's called Dave and wanted to chisel their <laughs> name into there gone along seen it and just gone over it a little bit deeper nice <laughs> and our next call is from Darren Green aka Orfed so take it away Arfid here. Um, been meaning to give you a call, but um, just keep forgetting to give you a shout while on the computer because I'm trying to make it a bit easier by using your SpeakPipe um, application to leave a message. Been really enjoying the show since it started. Um, I really like the format with two people so they can interact and go back and forwards and sometimes disagree. Um, some of the most recent episodes, I think Hannah's really getting her feet under the desk and yeah finding a voice and getting more to the mic which i think is great um especially with the sort of recent star trek episodes and also the the artwork from the various versions of dnd so yeah just wanted to call in and say how much i'm enjoying it keep up the good work and uh hopefully i'll be calling in again soon hi Arfed. really glad you're enjoying the show what more is there to say to that? Yeah, just to echo what Hannah's saying, glad you're enjoying the show. And likewise, um, since we've relaunched the podcast on Buzzsprout, for, for me personally, I've really been enjoying having Hannah recording the episodes with me. Because when I was doing the previous podcast on Anchor, 
I got to a point where I felt like I was just sort of like talking into a microphone. And, you know, obviously I enjoy the call-ins and everything and it's great, but it's not, and I really do appreciate those. So thank you for anyone who's sending call-ins in, but it's not the same as actually having a conversation while you're recording it. And we're both sort of adapting to the new format, aren't we? And we're finding ways to make sure we both get our voices heard and stuff (laughs) like that. So we're glad to hear that it sounds like we're doing an all right job with it. So, thank you very much, Arthur. So, let's see who our next caller is. Hey, Han and John. I thought your crypting episode was great. Really enjoyed it. Don't really have much to add. I really like the idea, though, instead of doing the dungeon, just have them pop back in the city. So, you know, I could I could see an adventure where, you, you know, your, your characters are in the city, and all of a sudden, poof, adventuring party another adventuring party appears in the city or a thief or whatever right but some other somebody else just poof appears in the city square and they find out oh i was in this dungeon you know this is what happened you know maybe they take them to the tavern and say oh you look like you had a rough day you know and they take them to the tavern buy them a drink and find out about this and that's kind of lead in to, to figure it out what's going on so instead of you know so the characters kind of come across it you know, off chance as opposed to head it directly and then they try to figure it out out of their curiosity. But yeah, great episode. Really enjoying these. You guys keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. Yeah, I was thinking about that idea myself and I was thinking, oh, the character that gives them the information as to where the tomb is doesn't even need to be another adventurer. True. It could be some kid that's gone in there looking for his lost puppy. And then the crypt thing's just teleported him back to town because doesn't want to hurt a kid. doesn't even want to frighten a kid. Just get him out of the way. Yeah, I could see that working. But yeah, again, glad you're enjoying the monster episodes, Jason. We have another one coming up this Friday. Depending on how the Twitter poll goes, that'll determine what we're sort of looking at. But we hope you enjoy that episode as well. Thank you very much for your call in. Hello, John and Hannah. I just listened to your episode on railroading. I pretty much agree with John across the board. Um, one um, one way of framing things I really like is something a guy's calendar said off how to be a good GM. He said the difference between plot and story um, is that it's okay for the GM to have a plot as long as what is played out is the story. So the example he gave was that the plot is uh, Sauron is trying to create an army to take over Middle-earth, but the plot follows a group of hobbits and some others who are making a trek to Mount Doom. That's an excellent uh, distinction. One other point I wanted to make is with uh, railroading uh, versus sandboxes. I don't... um, You're right. you, You can still have a a sandbox game within a module. I think of railroading as removing all options but one and not uh, an adventure that's fairly linear because linear can simply be logical and people make plans and follow them all the time. So sandboxing is, you know, the only way to get into the castle is through this one door that, of course, is trapped and that kind of thing. Anyway, that's my two cents. Thanks. Enjoying the podcast. Bye. That was, of course, Rob, a.k.a. The Swamper. Thank you very much for your call-in, Rob. Glad you enjoyed the episode. And, yeah, I think you're right. There is a distinction between 
plot and story. And I think like a lot of these things in RPGs, the lines get a little bit blurred. Mm. There's various definitions for different terms. And I think that's partly why we see so many arguments about these things online, because no one can exactly agree on what the terms mean. So it makes it very <laughs> difficult to actually have a, a conversation about them. It's not just D&D that that happens with. No, that's true. It happens with lots of things. But I think you're absolutely right. Railroading for me is the removal of player choice and player agency or it's sort of giving people in a way i feel it's worse if you give people the illusion of choice but they still don't actually have any choice so we get the whole like quantum ogre thing where it seems to matter which sort of fork in the road you get to but the gm's going to put the ogre at whichever fork you choose anyway so that's taking away the player choice but i agree with what you said i mean even in a a sandbox game if the gm like plonks down a castle somewhere on the map and he knows that the castle's guarded and the only way in is the front door then it's logical that you've got to try and make plans to get into that castle if you want to get into the castle so i think that's a very valid point yeah i i think it's why i try not to actually come up with an end for my stories when i write a story yeah i've mentioned before how i try and do it as well, the game I'm running at the moment anyway, try and do uh, it as an episode of the show would go and have like the teaser bit before the credits, the build-up, the twist somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And then I always have a, point, a part at the end that says, part four, wrap up, and that's all I ever put there. <laughs> so... I always have a plan for what the bad guys are up to this week or what the whoever they're encountering is up to. But I never have a plan for how it's going to turn out. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, love. I mean, when I run games like I'm running my, my Vampire 5th Edition game at the minute, I've got like some notes that tell me what all the various other vampires and factions are like doing in the background and they merrily go on doing their stuff whether the players get involved in it or not. So, for instance, the last session we had someone attacked one of the other vampires, burnt their haven down and killed the vampire inside. Now, the player characters were nowhere near that building when it happened. They don't know who exactly is responsible, or they've got some suspicions, but they only found out about it when a fire was reported in the local newspaper, and they were like, hold on a second, that's that vampire's haven, and it mentions like an old skeleton was like found in the... Uh, the ruins now if obviously if they'd have gone to visit that person in that session they could have got involved in all that but just because they weren't there doesn't mean that that didn't happen and i think that's a very important thing to give the if your campaign setting that sort of larger world feel where it, it feels like stuff's happening whether the player characters are there or not rather than just everything going on pause or into suspended animation just because the player characters aren't there to see it Okay, so let's see who's next in the old post bag. Hey, Hannah and John and Jason. Just heard the story is what happens now episode. I agree with John 100%. So the idea of not having a predestined hero, you know, it's like, you know, you think about Star Wars when we first saw it, or at least when I first saw it in theater, it was just Star Wars. You know, and then I guess all the original trilogy movies, they came out in theater all through the, you know, the 
and then the two Ewok movies that came out, and then, of course, they stopped making Star Wars. But, you know, Luke Skywalker and that, you know, first, you know, there was no pre-Great Destiny or any of this stuff, and we didn't find it out till we went. And not, you know, if we had known he was destined to be a hero from, you knew he was destined to be a hero from the start, but, you know, oh, let me give you a different one, Spider-Man. So, you know, when I grew up, Spider-Man was just a kid that got bit by this radioactive spider. That's why he became Spider-Man, because of the radioactive spider. Later on, like in the newer movies with the British actors in there and stuff, you know, Spider-Man's destined to become that way. The James Garfield? Yeah, James Garfield. So you watch those Spider-Man movies, and, you know, his dad's a scientist and inject him with serum and this and that. And, you know, so there, he didn't have a choice but to become Spider-Man. That's much less interesting than back when I was a kid and anybody could become Spider-Man. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%, John. Great episode. Talk to you later. I absolutely agree with you. And I think it's something that a lot of people, when writing stories, want to tie up both ends of the story Mm. sort of neatly so that it's all tidy and everything fits into everything else and it's very tempting to do those sort of like retroactive rewrites that make somebody like super destined to special whatever yeah uh, like has happened to many many of the doctor who assistants recently oh god which i really don't like i, I was just about okay with it when it was dr donna but only because they'd set it up like ages before <laughs> yeah and i think that's an important distinction i think if someone's been sort of set up to to have like a destiny and it's done subtly it can be okay in a media like a film or a story where there's always a fixed output from a story or a movie it's not going to change depending on what the audience thinks now obviously you can read different things into it and you can interpret it in different manners but the end of a film or a story is always the end of a story now a really good subversion of this trope that I really liked is one of uh, George Lucas's lesser known films which is Willow Oh yeah. where yes Laura Dannon has the destiny that when she is born a great army will come back to Tiraslin and the evil queen will be overthrown but it's actually Willow that helps her achieve that destiny and she didn't even need to be there she was just a baby screaming Yeah, he was the guy that made it all happen by like getting the army to believe in that myth long enough to go to the castle and fight the bad army and then it was him that outsmarted the villain at the end yeah, and I think that comes back to what Rob Davis was saying with his call-in earlier on, the difference between plot and story. So it's fine to have this sort of overarching, sort of vague prophecy or whatever going on, if you're doing it as an RPG, as long as that's not completely directing the story. So you can have a vague prophecy like, oh, a group of heroes is going to arise, are they going to overthrow the Dark Lord or whatever? As long as the players still have agency and they're free to direct their story as they see fit and as a result of their actions in game because if you don't have any choice and you don't have any agency what's the point in playing the game really 
Hey, John, it's Joe. That was a great episode on uh, your TPK. Actually, the two TPKs. And yeah, like Hannah brought up a really good point about how, you know, sometimes death from a random event isn't satisfying. And so it is important. And it what you did was awesome. How you did make that random occurrence important to the overall story. Uh, even, even if that's not, wasn't what you were thinking you were doing, you did like you tied it in to a broader, bigger story and that made it more satisfying for the players and probably for you because sometimes it's just like you mentioned, it's just not fun. (laughs) It's not satisfying to get squashed by a random ogre. Anyway, man, great stuff. Peace out. That was, of course, Joe from the Hind Sightless podcast. Thank you very much for calling in, Joe. And yeah, I can see your point where, you know, if it's a truly random death, maybe it's not as satisfying as some big sort of heroic grand gesture at the end of it. But I'm still not coming down entirely on the side of removing random death. Now, in the situation we're talking about, just in case anyone's not aware, we had a session where... All of the group were effectively TPK'd when they ill-advisedly went into an ogre lair after getting beat soundly by some ogres beforehand. That They all got killed, but because they were all killed, what I did was I ran the next session with them waking up on a sacrificial altar, and I did some sort of plot chicanery where their sort of god appeared and said, giving them a temporary reprieve because he needed them to stop these ogres summoning a demon but it was only a temporary reprieve. So everyone knew at the end of that session their characters were still going to die, but they had like one extra session where they could be like big damn heroes, take down these two like evil ogre summoners, defeat this demon. Everyone, because they knew they were going to die, was like quite gung-ho, sort of like trying to do their last sort of actions and stuff like that. And that was really good fun. I very much enjoyed it. However, if it had been the case that just one or two of the players had died in that ogre lair... I probably would not have run that extra session. I would have just said those deaths stand and I would have carried on. But because I knew that TPK was effectively going to be the end of that campaign, I didn't want the campaign to go out on a sort of, oh, we just went into a cave and we got smushed by some ogres note. So I did the extra session as a nice little roundup and sort of finale for that campaign. But I'm still a fan of random death, especially... As in this case, if it's down to the player character doing something that's ill-advised, because I think you have to have consequences for your actions. If there's no possibility of defeat, then the success of Triumph is diminished. I'm just thinking of all the random deaths that I've heard about at LARP and holding with the idea that Portaloo should be an OC area. (laughs) <laughs> and I will say as someone who has died an awful lot of random deaths at LARP doesn't really bother me to be honest there's a few times where like, I've died because of like, other people's foolishness and I've just been like oh if only they'd have done this I'd have been alright but de- deaths in game happen you move on you create a new character you try and well the way I always look at it is when one of my characters die I see it as an opportunity to try and create a cooler character next time and I look forward to the stories you can get involved with with the new character rather than bemoaning the fate of the old one 
Hello there, John. Thank you for the messages. Um, I may have to put these together into a little bonus um, episode and perhaps add some comments and give you a response to them a bit more in depth. But it sounds like you've had a bit of a marathon session there going through my back catalogue. I, I trust you must have put it onto fast play. Um, <laughs> I was a bit worried that perhaps I would come across sounding like a, a Geordie chipmunk on fast play. But so I went back and listened to myself on the fastest play and actually it just sounds like I sound like a normal person I speak so slowly anyway so <laughs> but I, I hope you've enjoyed listening to it and you think it's been worthwhile and hasn't been a complete waste of your time John but thank you for your comments very appreciated well that was safer fantasy crafting and uh, yeah John's very much enjoyed listening to your show on fast play I can't deal with the fast play it really does my head in but the bits of your show that I have listened to have been really good. Cheers for tuning in. Yeah, as Hannah said, I got into the whole sort of like fast playback sort of dealio, mainly because I was editing an awful lot of podcast episodes. And if you're having to listen to like a podcast episode of like 20 minutes through like two or three times, it takes up an awful lot of time. So at one point I worked out using Audacity... I could play it at one and a half times the speed and drastically cut down the amount of time it would take me and still edit it to the sort of same level. Then when I discovered on Pocket Casts that I could play podcasts at one and a half speed and they still sounded pretty good, it meant that, because I tend to listen to podcasts in sort of bulk, especially when I'm working from home like the minute, it meant that when I got a bit of a backlog, like I'll have after this week, because I've got a week off, so I'm not listening to as many, then it meant I could rattle through quite a lot of episodes, listen to them, enjoy them, and I could respond to people fairly rapidly, rather than me hearing something in an episode, and thinking, oh, I must make a voicemail call about that, and then three hours later, when I finish listening to the rest of my episode, going, oh, what was I supposed to leave a voicemail about? Mm-hmm. So for, for me personally, it just made everything a lot quicker and I could respond to things a lot quicker and edit them a lot more rapidly but I can certainly say love why you don't really get on with it it is a bit of an acquired taste listening to things at that that speed but I did send Safer Fantasy Crafting a few messages to to sort of respond to this personally and I know he's put together an episode which is all the calls I left him after listening to his back catalogue I listened to that just before we started recording this and very much enjoyed it so thank you very much for calling in Safer Fantasy Crafting I look forward to hearing more episodes of yours in the future keep up the good work and hopefully we'll catch you soon in your Bullywood episode Hannah mentioned the idea of friction between lizard men or lizard folk and Bullywugs, and there's this put me straight in mind of Horde of the Dragon Queen, which is the the fifth edition adventure book for Dungeons and Dragons, and it it's a, a part of the book that you can kind of split out and run in its own right. I thought it was quite an interesting little political situation going on between this band of Bullywugs, a cult of the dragon, and a, a tribe of lizard men everybody getting rather sort of frustrated with each other and there's several different ways it can go depending on how the players approach it so it it is super interesting and set in that liminal space of that swampy marshland see i told you that was a good idea yeah 
definitely a good idea. That was, of course, Colin from the Spike Pit podcast. I can't say I've read the book that you're referring to, Colin, because I don't have a vastly expansive fifth edition collection and i don't tend to buy an awful lot of modules to be honest but yeah having all these different tribes interacting with each other sounds very much like what you were talking about in the the bullywog episode love and as we said in that episode some of the the best osr sort of supplements and stuff like that for me are those ones where you have a lot of factional interplay going on even if it's just like a dungeon and you've got three factions fighting in the dungeon it adds an awful lot extra to the module and can add a whole extra dimension to it that the player characters can interact with they can change that factional interplay via their actions so i think that's a really good thing so that's it for this voicemail episode thank you very much to everyone who sent in voicemails that was jason connolly of the nerds rpg variety cast darren green aka rfed rob davis aka the swamper joe from the hindsightless podcast of course safer fantasy crafting and we rounded off there with colin green from the spike pit podcast thank you very much guys for sending all those voicemails in we really do appreciate them if you'd like to get in touch with us and feature in an episode like this, then you can drop us a voicemail using SpeakPipe. There'll be a link in the description of this show. Or you can email us at rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and keep gaming. Don't forget to plug the Twitter poll for the monsters. Oh yeah, of course. We currently have a Twitter poll running, although it may have ended by the time this goes out. But what we're effectively trying to do is every week after we publish our Monday episode, we're putting a Twitter poll up for a few days, which gives people a say in which monster we cover in the following Friday's episode. The current poll we have up as of the time of recording gives people a choice between the Dark Creeper slash Dark Stalker, the Death Knight, and the Eye of Fear and Flame. At the time of recording this, the Death Knight is miles ahead of the others. And I'm thinking because the Death Knight is such an expansive thing, maybe we might have to break that down into two episodes. I'm not sure at the minute. We'll just see how things go. But after next Monday's episode, there will be another poll which will give you a choice of which monster we look at next. And on a suggestion from Jason Connolly, who you heard earlier, we're currently working our way through the first edition AD&D Fiend Folio. So if you're interested in having your say on that, get onto Twitter and cast your vote in the poll. Take care, and we'll catch you soon. Bye.